What's up, Johnnies? We are back with another episode of Storm Chasers. I am very excited for today's episode. This is an idea I've had for a long time, and I'm finally excited to be able to get to do it, especially with the guest that I have, um, which who is actually at the Bolt Productions faculty advisor, Dr. Nancy DiTenoriello, known by many of the students as Dr. D. And yeah, I'll, I know you have more titles, but I'll let you say them as you introduce yourself. Oh, don't worry about the titles. <laughs> Thanks for having me on, Courtney. It's awesome to be here um, to see how you run your show and uh, to just be a part of this experience. I, I love um, all of the awesome things that the Bolt Productions and its members are doing. And if I could support you in any way, I'm happy to. So being a part of this is really awesome. So thanks for having me. Of course. Um, for those of you that don't know, like I said, she is the Bolt Productions faculty advisor, but we never did a podcast, um, you know, interview formatted like this. And she's also the coordinator of the communication arts program on the St. John's Staten Island campus. Right. So I pretty much breathe, sleep, eat everything St. John's Staten Island communications. So <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think it's impossible for a comm major on this campus to not know who you are, to even not have you as a professor at some point or another, so. Yeah, I mean, I would, yeah, you're definitely going to come across my path at one point or another. I, mean, I guess depending on who you talk to, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, <laughs> but I'm hoping that we keep it on a good thing. <laughs> yes. Um, so I figured this episode is going to be about student versus professor perspective. Okay, cool. Yeah, sort of for students to get a better understanding of, you know, professors, because a lot of times... You know, they may seem scary. You know, you go into a new class. Yeah. But, you know, they're people too. And it's nice to get that other, you know, that other perspective. Right, right. And everyone's so different too with how they run their classrooms. You know, so many people are, you know, more strict or I don't want want to say strict, but maybe more formal versus maybe not as formal. So, yeah, I think that this is a really good idea. Yes. Um, So I figured we'd start off the episode by talking about your experience as a student. Okay. So I guess let's start off with undergrad. Um, where did you go and what did you major? What did you study, I should say? Sure. So I actually went to Penn State University for my undergrad and I majored in communications. Um, I actually did a PR advertising degree with a uh, focus on PR. So I knew going in that I wanted to work in public relations. Um, So I went in with that as my declared major. Uh, I did the first two years at a satellite campus because Penn State has like 20 different campuses. There's like the, yeah, there's like the main campus, which if you take, uh, if you look at the map of the state of of of, uh, Pennsylvania and you draw an X on it, the middle is basically University Park, right? And that's where main campus is in in Pennsylvania. So, uh, and then there are like 19 campuses, or there were at the time, I'm not sure if there are now, but scattered all around it. I did two years at Penn State Berks, which is located in Reading, Pennsylvania. And then I transferred for my last two to finish my degree at the main campus. So that's, I did all four years at um, at, uh, Penn State, but I did my first two at one campus and then my last two at the other. Okay. And so it was a communications degree, but it was yes. like it was like focused in advertising and PR. It was focused in advertising and PR. Yeah. So I didn't take film courses or at first I actually selected to take some. I didn't have to. Okay. So I took some just because I was interested in understanding everything about communications. 
uh, especially because I, if I wanted to go into the entertainment industry, I wanted to be aware of some of those things. So I did take courses in journalism and courses in TV, film, and things like that um, of my own accord. But um, my focus was on PR and advertising. Okay. Um, I guess this is sort of like a two-parter question. Um, what made you decide to major in communications and also what made you decide to specifically focus in advertising PR? Because like you said, there's so many different branches of mass comm. Yeah. You're going to laugh when I tell you this story. Uh, for a really long time, I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. Like literally no clue. Um, so I was watching a movie at one point and I was like, so the movie, like spoiler alert, <laughs> The movie is called Sliding Doors. I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's a fairly no. old movie. I think it came out of the like early 2000s maybe. Uh, it's with Gwyneth Paltrow. And in the movie, she is a public relations representative. She works at a PR agency at one point and then like goes and opens up her own, her own little company agency, right? So I was, like, fascinated by the few clips that they showed about what she did while she was working. So I actually Googled it and learned more about public relations. And I was like, you know, I'm a really social person. I think this could be really cool. So um, it was the, the, the year before junior year of high school. And I, like, took a book out on public relations from the library and was like, what is this? Like, this looks like it could be cool. And I did some reading on it and learning about how it's like impression management and it's all these other different types of things. And I was like, yeah, this is what I want to do. So I broadened my search when I looked for uh, for schools for uh, communication departments that had PR as an option. And part of me always wanted to go to Penn State ever since I was a kid. Um, it just had a really good rep like rep uh, a really good, I guess. What's the word I'm looking for? Reputation. That's the word. Thank you, Courtney. <laughs> yes. It had a really good reputation. I was a big uh, sports fan always, and I was always into, you know, Penn State football. So I always kind of had a feeling that I knew I wanted to apply there at least, if not go there. So when I got in, it was for me, it was pretty much a no brainer. Yeah. And um, it's actually kind of ironic how one form of, I guess, comm or media yeah. is, like, is what led you to. Yeah want to pursue another area of calm right like a movie right inspired me to look into public relations which is where I ended up and now I get to teach both which is actually really exciting so yeah because I feel like in high school it's not a profession that's even or a major that's even really talked about it's not you're absolutely right it's not I actually did the legwork myself to really look into it I mean my parents hadn't really even heard of it so they're like, oh, that's there's a name for that type of work. Oh, that's cool. Like, oh, yeah, I could see you doing that. And so, yeah, it worked out. But you're right. One form of communications, you know, f inspired where I ended up. So, yeah. yeah. And it's cool that you got all the other knowledge, like you said, in journalism, TV, film, yeah. advertising to Ab sort of encompass that. Absolutely. Um, during your time in undergrad, were you involved in a lot of clubs? Oh, that's a great question. No, I wasn't involved in a lot of clubs, but I was involved in some clubs. Um, I worked it with PRSSA, right, which is the Public Relations Student Society of America. And I got such awesome experience with them that I actually started working within the PRSSA subcommittees that we had. So I was involved in more than one subcommittee, which felt like more than one club, right? So 
um, that was where I did I put forth a lot of my focus on extracurricular stuff. And I also tried to uh, get a few internships under my belt before I graduated. So that was where most of my um, most of my attention was. At one point, I thought I wanted to try out for the dance team, and then I thought, no, like, that's just not me. Like, I love dancing. I danced growing up. Um, I thought it'd be a fun thing to do, and then I went to, like, the first day of rehearsal or tryouts, and I was like, no, like, I don't think I want to do this. So it mainly was sticking with working with PRSSA, and at one point, I did a little bit of work with the ad club, uh, and that was pretty much it. Okay, and... Um, you know, obviously, internships are very important for yes. comm majors specifically. Um, you mentioned that you did some, What were they in a sense, were they PR internships? They were PR internships. They had, uh, at f- so here's the thing. When I first started looking for an internship, I was like, I want to work in fashion PR, entertainment PR. I'm going to apply to all of these really high-end internships at these big companies and Then as you apply and you realize, like, you're not hearing back from some of them, you're like, wait, what is going on? And then you talk to, you know, your advisor and they're like, well, Nancy, like, there's hundreds of students applying to this one internship, like, across the from across the U.S. Like, some kids are even willing to move for the summer to do an internship. So you have people from all over applying for these internships in New York. So I got really disheartened. And then she said, well, why don't you think about like finding a local place that might not be a bad thing and that actually might be better because you know smaller places might allow you to have more hands-on experience so I thought oh my gosh that's a really good point so I actually ended up applying to my local chapter of the American Red Cross and I got an internship there and it was honestly the best thing that could have ever happened to me. My direct report there, I mean, shout out to her, Diane Concanon, not even sure what she's up to these days. It's been a while since we chatted, was the best internship advisor or like direct report I could have asked for. She taught me so much and she really like, she didn't throw me in it. She walked through it with me, which is the best thing for somebody that had no public relations experience um, to, to, to do. You know, she really walked through it with me. She told me how she wanted things and she told me why she wanted them that way. And then she would take me with her um, during certain situations or events that were happening and like really walked me through what her job is as, as you know, the press liaison in certain circumstances, as event planner in certain circumstances. And I learned so much that when I went and got another internship later on, I was like ready to rock and roll because I already had all of these different things under my belt. So um, yeah, it was really great. So I highly recommend getting an internship, especially because if I didn't like public relations while I was doing the internship, that would have been a really great option for me to then change directions, Mm -hmm. you know, and not have um, lost too much time, you know what I mean? And then I could refocus my degree if I wanted to. So I am a big advocate of internships for sure. Yeah, no, it's it, they're great because you get sort of a little taste of what you'd potentially be doing. You see if it's something that you like or if you'd like to pivot in a different direction because you really, I mean, you learn in your classes, but you learn by getting that hands-on experience because that's yeah. what it would be like in the everyday Absolutely. Um, the one thing that I really got 
out of my internship was that I actually was able to do the stuff. You know, I remember hearing from a friend of mine who got an internship at a really big name company. Um, and I'm not going to mention because I'm not I don't want to tarnish the reputation of an organization with since I don't know how they do operations now. But I remember being so envious of her going, oh, my gosh, she got this internship at this really great place in New York. Like, oh, my God, I wish I got that. And then I found out that, like, for most of the summer, she, like, legitimately got coffee and printed stuff for and copied things and put together folders. That's really all she did all summer. And then here I am, like, manning the press at events and, you know, organizing these different uh, nonprofit events to gain money and, and donations for the Red Cross. And I'm working with these different constituents and doing all these things hands on that she's like, oh, my gosh. She goes, I might have this company on my resume, but when they look at what we did at those internships, she said, yours far outweighs mine, you know, and she was right, you know. So um, her second internship, thank goodness, she got really awesome experience and now she's super successful, you know, but um, I had that right out of the gate, which was really exciting. So yeah. sometimes it's uh, it's not all in the name. Sometimes it really does have to do with the actual experience that you gain from maybe a smaller place, and that's okay. Yeah, it sounds like you gained more out of it than she did. You know, you learned a lot more. Because at the end of the yeah. day, internship, a lot of times it's for students. It's supposed to be a learning experience. Correct. Correct. Right. So I got very lucky in that sense, um, and it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me, for sure. Now, how did you, I guess, as a student, were you always were you always like a good student? Did you find it in college hard to, you know, I guess, sort of balance everything? That is such a great question because, you know, I have students now and they're all like, Dr. D, like you have your PhD and you know a lot about what you teach us. You know, you're so smart, yada, yada. Oh, man, I was not, I just, first of all, don't feel super smart. Like I don't feel smart like everybody thinks I am, you know, like my students think I am. I definitely don't feel that way. Um, I feel competent in teaching what I teach, but I don't feel like I know so, 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 so much. And that probably stems from me as a student. I think I was a pretty mediocre student in terms of how I did. I was always really dedicated. I always gave it like 150%. Um, I always wanted to do well. You know, I always studied a lot. I, I always did my homework. I never missed assignments. You know, that's just how I was. I always got things done early, you know, so that I didn't get, you know, didn't get any late assignments or anything. I was always pretty good like that. Unfortunately, my grades never really reflected how much I worked. Like I was basically a hardworking student. I don't, I wouldn't call myself like a top student. I would say I was a hardworking student. So I worked really hard to get pretty average grades. I was an AB student. You know, a lot of people can say that they were these great students and they're like, oh, yeah, I was a really good student. I got A's on everything. Not me. <laughs> I was definitely like an A, B student um, until I got to grad school. And then like because I, I made an effort to get there and got to focus in on what I wanted to focus in on. And that's what I knew I wanted to be uh, well versed in. And I wanted to be submerged into that and use that moving forward. I was a great student in my master's, and my Ph.D. programs. But getting there, I would say I was a hardworking student, but I wasn't a stellar student by any means. Yeah, and it's definitely, I can see how it's infuriating. Because then there's those other students that don't put the time in at all, and they 
miraculously, you know, get these amazing yeah. grades. I had know. a lot of friends that were, um, oh, gosh, they they could remember content by where they saw it in the textbook. Oh, wow. They had, like, photographic memories. They're like, oh, yeah, they would focus. And when we were, like, quizzing each other, they'd be like, oh, yeah, the answer is blah, blah, blah. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's you're right. Yeah, good call. And they're like, yeah, I remember it from the page on the textbook with this photo. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, how do you know that? Meanwhile, here I am just trying to remember how, how to connect the dots, you know. Um, so, yeah, I was definitely a pretty pretty mediocre student. Uh, not because I wanted to be. I really tried. I really did. But I was – like a lot of America, I was a really bad test taker. Yeah. And when I was growing up, that's a lot of how I was graded. It wasn't like, yeah, we had projects for sure. But a lot of the grades when I was growing up were gathered through quizzes and tests. And I have really, I mean, to this day, I still have really bad test anxiety. That's why if you notice when you look at how I structure my classes, if I do have exams, I create it so that the exams are weighted as much as the projects are. So that if you're really good at doing projects, you could still do really good in my class if you're not a great test taker. Because I myself wasn't a great test taker, and I'm still not. So, yeah. Yeah, and that's one thing that I love about college more than high school is that it's definitely, you know, especially for certain professors, Yeah, it's a lot more flexible. Mm-hmm. And I'm actually going to pin a point in that because I want to bring it up later you know, okay. in terms of how you structure your classes. Sure. A really good point because a lot of comm majors I've heard aren't, you know, from stu- other students, they're like, oh, I'm not a great test taker. And right. I'm, a lot of it's hands-on learning. So we'll get back to that in a little bit. But um, so you graduated from undergrad. Did you go straight into working in PR or working in general or did you go right into your master's? Oh, that's a good question. Um, so I graduated and I went right to working in PR. Um, I had, a, I had a, a really awesome job in New York uh, working for a uh, travel PR agency. Um, at the time, it was called uh, Nancy J. Friedman Public Relations. It was a smaller agency at the time, um, and I got to learn really awesome things hands-on um, as an assistant account executive um, and then, you know, promoted a little bit shortly after. And then I was only there for a little over a year, I believe, um, and then worked in um, at an advertising agency um, in the marketing department. And then after that, did some work in publishing and sales and, and for the publishing company. And um, it was awesome. Like all of those different experiences, I gained so much insight. Uh, but when I was at the publishing company and I was – you know, working with all of the different teams, you know, editorial and marketing and all of these different teams in the position that I was in, I was like, you know what, I think I want to go back to school. I think I want to go back and get my master's. And then as because, you know, they offered to pay for a certain amount of credits, you know, per year. Uh, So I was like, oh, this will be a really good way to transition into going back to school and also paying for it, you know, getting it paid for. They paid for a certain amount of credits, I paid for a certain amount of credits just to get the degree done faster. Uh, but it was a really good opportunity for me to do all those things. But while I was working with these professors at times uh, through this publishing company, I really felt like, oh, man, I want to be on the other end of the table. You know, when I was working at the PR agency, I was able to help with their internship program and, like, help with – Um, providing tasks and things for the interns that we received. And I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed being able to help with the layout and help teach. 
And then while I got the opportunity to go back to get my master's, I realized, like, I think higher education is for me. So it was like a perfect storm of different things that happened that I experienced that helped sort of point me into the direction that I find myself in today. Right. Um, What did you get your master's in and where did you get it from? Sure. So I got my master's degree in communication studies and I uh, earned it through uh, Kane University in New Jersey. Um, it's funny. Uh, if you don't go to Kane, you don't realize it's pronounced Kane because it's spelled K-E-A-N. So a lot of people pronounce it Keen. You know, they see the billboards of it and they're like, yeah. oh, Keen. And it's actually pronounced Kane. Um, but yeah, so I, I, that's why I received my, my master's degree. It was a two-year program. I went to school full-time and worked full-time. Wow. Um, so it was really hard. For those two years, I didn't have much of a life on weekends because that's when I did all my homework. Um, so it was, it was quite difficult. I'm not going to lie. It was hard, but I'm glad I did it um, the way that I did because I was really focused for those two years. Uh, so it was it was really good to get in and get out. I feel like if it would have taken me longer, I knew myself enough to know that I would lose steam, and I don't know if I would have finished. Right. So, yeah. And plus, since – because I'm assuming there was a few years in between your undergrad yes. and grad. There were a few years in between my undergrad and my grad, so it had been a while. I kind of needed a little bit to to learn the ropes again. And then after about a semester that I kind of figured the routine out again, I was like, all right, full steam ahead. Let me just get this done. How would you say your, as a student, your graduate experience differed from your undergraduate experience? First of all, I was a completely different person. I was a completely different person when I went back for my master's. I was, you know, more established in a a career. Um, I knew more of where I wanted to go with this. Uh, I had years of work experience under my belt already. Um, I undergrad taught me time management skills that I really needed to utilize again in my master's program. So that was really beneficial to me. Like everybody jokes around to me with me to this day. I still have a, a regular planner. You know, like everyone's like, why don't you use your phone calendar? I said I do, but I also like having that written planner because. Should something get messed up and my phone calendar goes haywire, what am I going to do, right? Like, I need that written backup. So, uh, thankfully, undergrad taught me how to be really organized. And I was able to utilize those same organizational skills during my master's program. So, I feel like I was a much more competent student come that point. I knew how to manage my time better. I knew how to prioritize my life better at that point, being in my 20s. Um, so I think that that was really beneficial for me. Yeah. And 100% I agree with you with that whole planner thing. You know, yeah. with technology, something can always go wrong. You always want a written backup. Just and in case. a backup for your backup. Yeah, right. Just in case. I'm always very much so trying to play it safe like that, for sure. But yeah, I would definitely say at that point, I was a much more uh, organized and knew how to prioritize my life type of a student. So that's why I think my master's degree went a lot better than my undergrad did. Not that my undergrad degree went bad, right? Like, I had a really good GPA in my undergrad. Um, I don't know. I can't remember what it was. It was like a 3.86 or something like that. It was a really good GPA. Um, But through my master's and my PhD programs, I mean, those were the best GPAs of my life, like solid 4.0 across the boards. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was really, really excited for that. But I knew myself by that point, right? Yeah. And I knew that I knew myself enough to know when I had to ask for help. I didn't wait. I remember being an undergrad and like waiting to ask for help. Like, oh, like when I was really struggling, I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to pass this now? Like, or how am I going to do this project? I guess I'll go to office hours, right? I remember asking, like I would be in office hours as soon as we got an assignment. And I like would like go to the professor's office hours during my master's program and be like, okay, this is what I'm thinking of doing. What do you think? And then getting feedback right from the brainstorming process. And I really think that that's what helped me do so well in my grad, de- in my grad degree versus catching myself when it was almost too late in my undergrad degree. Yeah. And I feel like at that point you also – I mean you were older but you sort of like grew as a person. Yes. So that could have also played a part. And I feel like for your professors it shows that you know, you're putting in the time and the effort and that you really – care about these assignments, you know, that you're going to them. Yes, I think so. I think so. I think you're absolutely right in that. Um, So at this point in graduate school, did you know you wanted to um, get a PhD? And were you teaching at this point? So yes, I did know I wanted to go get a PhD. I had no idea where and I had no idea how I was going to make it work. I mean, I remember asking my dad, like, I was like, Dad, I think I want to go get my PhD. And he's like, that's great. How are you going to pay for it? It was like the first things out of his mouth. And I thought to myself, I have no idea. So I thought, oh, my gosh, I guess I, you know, for all the work I was learning about PhD programs, a lot of people have to go away to get their PhD. You know, PhDs are hard to get accepted into. So, you know, I may not have been able to stay local, which I didn't. Actually, I was not able to stay local. So... I'm glad I did the research before I even applied to figure out like, all right, if this, if I'm going to do this, how am I going to make this work? And I remember meeting with my advisor of my master's program and I went into his office and I said, all right, I want to do this. How do I do it? And he explained to me how when you look for certain schools, some schools offer stipends to be a teaching assistant or a research assistant. And so that's what helps PhD programs be really competitive. Some schools offer more money than others do. Some schools are in locations that more people want to live in than others. So it was like a whole bunch of things all pulled together. So he said, why don't you do some research and look at schools that have faculty members that you want to do research with, right, that are researching topics that you're the most interested in. And those are the ones you're going to want to apply to because, you know, those are the people that you're going to be working with should you get in. And that's really good to talk about in your application letter. Like, and I thought, okay, okay, that's, that's a good thing. So he worked with me step by step uh, to apply, to research, to apply. And then uh, ironically, out of all of the PhD programs I applied to, which I applied to, I believe, 18, I only got into one. Really? Yeah. And you know what's even funnier? I was the graduate speaker, so essentially the um, representative of the entire graduate graduating students at uh, Kane University for my master's degree. So I was like, I guess, the equivalent of like valedictorian of the master's students. And I only got into one university. What? For my PhD program. Yeah. It was, I remember thinking to myself, I am such a good student. Like, I should have gotten in everywhere that I applied, you know? But that's not how it works. Wow. I I never knew about that. Again, like, when they talk about higher education, you often hear about 
law school and medical school and things yeah. like that. But you never hear about PhD programs. And I had no idea. I mean, I figured they were competitive, but yeah. I didn't know I was. They're pretty competitive. Like They're pretty competitive. And being a bad test taker, I didn't do so hot on the GRE. Right. Okay. I didn't score so high on the GRE. So that definitely took me out of the running in a lot of the schools that I applied to. Yeah. Um, but, you know, where I really feel like I really sh- like myself was able to come through was in my essay letters. Mm-hmm. Right. In my statement. And um, and thankfully, North Dakota State University took a chance on me. And, you know, I remember going, what am I going to do in North Dakota? Like, I was born in Brooklyn, raised in Jersey. Why am I going to the middle (laughs) of nowhere just because I got in and they're the only school that accepted me, you know? And I forgot who I was talking to, um, but I had said, oh, my gosh, I have to go to North Dakota. And they're like, no, Nance, you get to to go to North Dakota. Yes, go ask that full perspective. Exactly. It's not that you have to go. You don't have to do anything. But if this is what you want to do, North Dakota is going to help you get there at this point. So you need to decide, are you going to look at this as a stepping stone or not? Because if you choose to go and look at it as something that you had to do, your heart's not going to be in it. And it's going to be a hard four to five years of your life. Like you're not going to do well if you're not there and present every day. Right. And I remember going, yeah, that's right. So I really thought about it. Am I going to make this move? Am I going to do this? They offered me a really great package for enrollment in terms of um, what they were going to cover, what they would be willing to pay me. They gave me a a teaching assistantship. So I was able to teach there and go to school there. So I made a little money as well to support myself and get an apartment and everything. And the cost of living is a lot cheaper for a one-bedroom apartment um, with heat and internet. I paid $400 a month. 400 for rent? And, and heat and internet. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. $400 a month was pretty much. That's like. Yeah. Coming from New York City, that's like almost unimaginable. I know. Wow. I know. If that was like a simple one bedroom, like nothing crazy, you know. Uh, in a pretty decent area, you know, nothing. It was by no means lavish in any way. It just was the basics. It had everything I needed. Quiet community, you know, where I lived. So, yeah, 400 a month. And I was, all right, I can make this work. Like, I can do this, you know. And it thankfully did. Yeah, because, I mean, in New York, you could probably get that same type of apartment or less, probably for like $2,000. Correct. Yeah. Yeah, it's more. funny. Like, I look at what I pay now for a two-bedroom, right? Yeah. for a two-bedroom condo uh, versus what I spent on, a, on like, a one-bedroom apartment there. And I think to myself, oh, my God, I miss those days. Yeah. <laughs> I miss those days so much. Um, so you talked about you went to North Dakota State University yes. for your PhD. For my PhD. And was that also in communications? Yeah. So that was in interpersonal communication. I knew I wanted to study um, the communication between individuals like, and I wanted to specialize in parent-child communication and romantic relationships. So I knew going in that that's what I wanted to focus. So I was specifically looking for programs that had an interpersonal communication focus. So North Dakota State University did at the time Uh, I'm not sure if they do now. I don't believe they do any longer, but they did at the time. Um, And so I applied and thankfully got in. And 
it was one of the best things that could have ever happened to me. I was totally outside of my comfort zone for five years of my life. And I did things I never in a million years thought I would do. I learned so much through so many really intelligent scholars that I got a chance to work with. And some just had the opportunity to learn from. And it was a really great, great thing. If I had to do it over again, though, I'm not sure. I don't think I... The PhD process is just a difficult one. You know, anybody that goes through the the PhD journey will tell you that they don't – well, I don't want to say – I don't want to speak for everybody. But if someone said you have to do it over again, I don't know if I would. It was a very difficult process, but that's just anybody, right? That's not where I went to school. It's anybody who goes for a PhD program anywhere. It's going to be a very grueling, difficult thing. Um, And I don't know if I'd be cut out to do it again. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm really glad I did and I survived at the time. And I get to do some really cool things now due to all the awesome things that they taught me and that I learned throughout the process of my PhD program. What would you say is the main differences between um, being a PhD student and your other levels of education? Based off what you're saying so far and the little bit of knowledge I have, it sounds like um, getting your doctorate is more research-based, where in the other levels it's more so... You're learning the information, if that makes sense. That's absolutely right, Courtney. That's exactly how I would describe the difference. Um, I would say in my undergrad and in my master's level, I was learning, right? And and in my PhD process, I was creating, right? I was formulating these. I actually think I learned the formulation process in my master's degree, too. We learned to formulate research, uh, and the ins and outs of it, but the PhD journey is really where you learn to go through the entire research process and um, learn the different types of research and how to utilize them and which one best suits you as a scholar, understanding how your brain operates and the types of research questions you tend to have um, puts you in certain thought camps and understanding what thought camp you are best suited in with your interests is also really important. That does fuel your research down the road. Yeah. So you're right. I would say the PhD process was more research and creation based in that sense. Okay. Now, before, because I do have a few questions on sure. your dissertation, which I know is a large part of yeah. getting your doctorate. Um, since you were in North Dakota, you kind of already touched on this, but what was it like living in North Dakota versus, you know, you said you grew up in New York City slash New Jersey yeah. and then you were in Pennsylvania for your undergrad. What was that? Because I can only imagine that's, you know, a huge shock. What was that like? It's really cold there. Yeah. <laughs> it's we really thought, we cold there. It's cold here. It's yeah. Oh, my there. God. It's so cold there. Um, everyone's really nice in North Dakota. Like, very nice. Some people, I'm sure they're not genuine, but a lot of people are genuine. I mean, I remember the day I flew in. I was really emotional. I was so sad. I was already homesick before I even got off the plane. But part of me was also really excited to see, like, what the future was going to bring. But I remember going to the luggage carousel at Fargo uh, International Airport. And it's a really small airport. And I was going to the luggage carousel to get my bag. And somebody, like, this really kind gentleman, like, helped. It was a big, heavy bag. And I guess he saw me struggling with it. So he, like, came over and, like, helped me with my bag. And I remember, like, being on the defensive about it. Like, don't touch my bag. You know, but I didn't say that, but like that was the look on my face. And I think he he definitely registered, you know, that I wasn't from the area. (laughs) And he asked me, he was like, oh, where are you from? And I was like, how do you know I'm not from here? You know, like 
all snotty and, you know, trying to, like, be protective over myself and everything. And he's like, well, I had an inkling, but now I'm pretty sure I know. <laughs> and he's like, New New York? <laughs> oh, my God, he knew. Yeah, I was like, well, technically New Jersey, but, yes, the East Coast. And and so he's like, oh, what, you know, what what are you finding yourself here for, you know? And I said, oh, I'm just enrolled into the university. I'm getting my PhD. He's like, oh, North Dakota State. Oh, that's great. And you have to fight. You have to make sure you go to a football game. They're a lot of fun. And make sure you tailgate. All these families get together, you know, and do it. Like, go. And, you know, it's it's really big into the family fiber here and everything. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, so everyone was really nice and very welcoming to me, uh, which was really cool because, I didn't have the money to fly home for the holidays and things like like the the smaller holidays like Thanksgiving or Easter or things like that. So I really only flew home for a little bit in the summer and for um, part of winter break uh, for like, you know, Christmas and things like that. So everyone like I had made friends in the program and they would open up their homes to me and their families open up their homes to me for Thanksgiving, for oh, wow. Easter, like it was just – I am so grateful to all of them. And I got to learn about all these different family traditions. And a lot of them are Norwegian. So I got to um, – like I got to experience these different holiday traditions like making lefse and like all of these cool Norwegian traditions. And that was a really great experience for me. Um, so that was one of the main differences I would say is that everyone's really nice there. Um, not that they're not nice here, but everyone is mainly very chatty in North Dakota area. Like everyone wants to know and everyone, you know, is just friendly and open and, you know, very kind. Here it takes people a little bit longer to warm up, I would yeah. say. Yeah, it takes people a little, a little longer to warm up. Also, I feel like in New York City, everything is so fast paced. So yeah. fast paced. Yeah, it's probably a lot more. Yeah. Relaxed there. <laughs> it is a little bit more relaxed, except for in the actual PhD program itself. That was one of the difficulties that I that I recognized. I was um, one of the only people that I well, I think I was the only one at the time that was in the Midwest by themselves. Uh, well, there was maybe one or two of us at the time. Um, so all of them, like I don't want to say all, but a majority of my friends in the program um, had spouses or family there. So, but for me, it literally was just me. So a lot of these other individuals that I went to school with had assistance with things like whether it was that their significant other or their family member or their relative or whatever helped with um, food prep or cleaning the house or doing laundry and things like that. And for me, it literally was just me. Right. And so that was one of the difficult things that I noticed. Um, but yeah. But it was a great experience. I got to experience some really cool things. I went to my first ever rodeo in North Dakota. Ooh. That was really fun. Uh, first, I went ice fishing. You know, that was really fun. There's this one bar um, that it's it's on the lake, on one of the frozen lakes, you know, in the winter. They, like, open up this, this like, pop-up bar, really. So you can, like, sit at a bar stool, like, at the bar, and there's, like, a hole right on the floor next to your foot, next to your stool, with like a, a line that you could essentially be drinking a beer and like ice fishing at the same time. It was the coolest thing I've ever experienced in my life. <laughs> wow. Yeah, really cool things that I would probably have not gotten to experience anywhere else that I had the opportunity to check out while I was getting my PhD was really cool. And during your PhD, were you also going to the film festival? Because I know you bring that up before too, that that was 
Yes. So I actually uh, got involved in the Fargo Film Festival by just being a a festival attendee for many years. Uh, And to the point where I even would go back, even after I graduated, just to attend the film festival because I love it so much. Um, And the cool thing is that this is my first year serving as one of the judges on the short documentary uh, uh, categories, which is really cool. We actually just had our meeting to deliberate the other day. I'm not at liberty to tell you who got accepted and who did not until that announcement is made publicly. But it was a lot of fun. It was really cool getting a different experience um, from the Fargo Film Festival as now part of the jury versus where I was as um, just a festival attendee. Yeah, no, that sounds like a really cool experience to be a judge. And now it's coming back full circle. You get to, you know, dive into TV film again. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I love it. It's a good time. And for your dissertation, um, what was it on and what made you choose that topic? So for, for my dissertation, um, I could not think of a dissertation topic. I could not think of one. I actually ended up going to a mini conference with my advisor and a couple of my colleagues. And I overheard somebody uh, giving a presentation on this concept called advice response theory. And it sounded so interesting. Um, And then I remember going back after the conference was over and I was in the shower. And then it just like something just hit me. Like I knew that this was this concept that I wanted to explore further. And I remember... My bathroom was so small in North Dakota. It was so tiny that I could like the sink was right directly next to the bathtub. So I remember like reaching around my shower curtain and grabbing my lipstick, which was like on the counter right next to the faucet. And I shut the spout in the shower off and I took my lipstick and I started writing on the wall of my shower like the concept idea that I had for my dissertation and I was like looking at this wall of like mac red lipstick (laughs) and all this stuff and and I took a photo of it I grabbed my went and grabbed my phone I'm like soaking wet jumping out of the shower went and got my phone and took a photo of the wall and then threw my phone on my bed and jumped back in the shower like cleaned the wall and then continued to shower all the shampoo out of my hair and everything um and it basically looked at uh Advice-seeking patterns between emerging adults, so those that are 18 to 25, and their uh, guardians, essentially. And I looked at uh, if there was a relationship between how satisfied a person is with their relationship with their parent and how likely they were to uh, seek advice from them. And I also looked at things like, does trustworthiness matter? Does being an expert in advice giving and topics matter uh, regarding if a emerging adult is going to ask that parental figure for advice or not? So that's kind of where it all came from. Wow, that's actually really fascinating. And since you're a professor, I feel like that sort of allows you to have a sense of, you know, understanding. Because like most college students are between the ages of like probably 17, to like 22. And yep. then ones that go... You know, people that go straight from their undergrad to grad are probably between like 22 and 25. So you really do have like a deep understanding of, you know, what a lot of these students could be going through. Yeah. It's actually really interesting that like you're perfectly equipped for that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And yes, it's actually very cool. I had over 400 participants in this survey. Um, And so I got some really, really cool data. And one of the things that I found that I thought was really interesting was that emerging adults uh, reported that they don't care if their parental figures are... Uh, experts in a topic or not. Uh, But if they have a 
satisfy, if they are satisfied with the relationship that they have with their parental figure, they are more inclined to ask them for advice, which I think is really cool because in my life, right, my parents did not have advanced degrees. So there was a certain point where I ask my parents for advice and they're like, I don't know, Nance, like you're the one with the master's degree, like you're the one with the PhD. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but I just need my mom or dad to tell me blah, 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 you know? So that I'm like living my results, right, in a way. Um, so yeah, so this actually think really good for parents to know that their, their children are not looking for them to be experts in a topic, right? They are just looking for there to be good trust between them, right? Um, and being satisfied with that relationship uh, to be able to then approach somebody and ask for advice. Right. It's more so, I guess, wanting that, you know, that trust and wanting that support from them, that emotional yes. support. Exactly right. Exactly right. Okay. Yeah. Rather um, than expertise, you know. Yeah, that that totally makes sense, actually, now that you, you say that. And it's actually very interesting because I feel like a lot of people, you know, go to their parents for advice, even if, you know, like you said, they're not experts, you know, just right. because you know, they're their parents and, you know, you sort of look up to them as these, you know, figures that know everything just because right. you trust them so much. Yeah. You know, it's a sad day when you have to take people off of pedestals, right? Yeah. Um, but at the same time, in a situation with these type of results that I'm looking at, it's not that you're taking them off of a pedestal. You're just like shifting what that dynamic looks like. Okay. Right. Which is like, a, I think, a really cool way of looking at it. Yeah. So what was your approach going in in terms of gathering research? So the research questions and hypotheses that I presented for my uh, dissertation were very quantitative in nature. Like they, they needed quantitative data to essentially answer. So um, I gathered some survey tools um, that were already utilized in other studies, and I was sort of using them um, with the language that was needed for my dissertation to essentially test that survey tool to see if it would be useful in finding uh, data for the variables that I was looking at. And it worked out really well. Um, so I surveyed people uh, using an online survey tool, and then I utilized uh, statistical software to essentially compare the variables and see and be able to read the results that way, and then uh, wrote everything all up. <laughs> okay, so it was a lot more like numerical-based data rather than, yes. you know, open-ended questions. And Correct. Things of yes, that sort. it was numerical-based data. Um, in the sense where some of the questions were like, you know, on a scale of one to seven, how likely are you to blah, 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 right? Um, and so those numbers have value, right? Because um, seven means not likely and one means totally likely or completely likely or what, however you set your, your scale up, right? Um, so you're assigning uh, values to those numbers uh, and then the software is allowing you to compare and contrast that and see if um, connections are there. Uh, that are statistically, you know, based. So, yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. Um, Now moving on to you being a professor. Okay. You kind of touched on this before. What made you decide to become a professor instead of continuing to work in comm? And did you always want to teach, but at different academic levels, so like maybe in high school or, you know, another level like that? Um, So what made me want to be a professor is I had 
briefly mentioned this a little earlier. I really liked teaching the interns or helping with the internship process at the public relations agency. So that I knew I was really into the idea of assisting others in that sense. Um, and then when I was in the pub- working for the publishing company, I really loved the connections that I was making with the professors that I got to speak with um, and felt myself wishing I was on the other end of the table because I had this interest in this sort of curious nature of always asking questions about things and felt that that would be really, really suited uh, as a professor with all of the things that I was interested in. So that's sort of kind of what, what led me in that direction. Um, I'm sorry, though. I missed the other question. Um, oh, did you always want to teach, but at different academic <gasps> oh, levels? Oh, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's funny. Growing up, my sister always wanted to be a teacher. And really? she is now, and she's very, very good at it. She's a teacher. In a, she teaches in elementary school. Aww. Yeah, she's very good at what she does. Uh, myself, on the other hand, I did not see myself being a being a teacher in the sense of I knew I could never deal with parents. <laughs> and it's funny because I actually find myself dealing with parents now still even at the college level. But it's a lot less than, you know, somebody who's in elementary school or, or right. whatnot or high school even. Um, so, yeah. So, no, I never saw myself as a, as a teacher uh, for a while, you know, until I learned myself enough to know that I would really love to work with young adults. And that's how I knew I wanted to be a professor, per se. But um, yeah, I did not like have aspirations as a child of being a professor. No, I did not. <laughs> no. Right, because you still, you know, you're still dealing with students and I would say to be, you know, very formative years. And yeah. Like, you know, students are still, they say high school is really those years, but I feel like college is a continuation of that. You know, a lot of students are still finding out who they are, yes. their identities and... You know, you sort of get to guide them, you know, I do throughout those years. And, you know, you just don't have to deal with the parents as much. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've, I've learned to really appreciate that vulnerability that happens when you are working with young adults. Right. Because, you know, it's it's a very different dynamic because I feel like in these classrooms more than ever, um, you really have to show respect to get respect. Right. Where I feel like that's very different younger. Right. Like you go into high school or elementary school and it's automatically expected that you respect the teacher. Right. Whereas at this level, I go in knowing like we are all adults here. Right. So in order to get respect, I have to give it. And so that is something that's always been sort of at one of the cornerstones of of my foundations as a, as a professor, I guess. Right. And I don't know if this is an underrated opinion, but I'm saying this as a student that goes to a commuter college. So it's actually a lot more of a similar experience to high school than to others that dorm. I think there are several elements from college education that should be implemented into high school education. Okay, Like, 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 what do you mean, Courtney? Give me an example. So, for instance, I think in high school learning... They should have so they should have syllabi. Oh, okay, Yes. I had one teacher. I had one teacher that did this, a math teacher. In high school? Yes. That gave you a syllabus? Yes. Love that. Yes, my math teacher. Um, I was going to say, I should say your name. Shout out to you, Miss LeBlanc, if you're listening yeah. to this right now. Yeah, way to go, Miss LeBlanc. Like, I'm all about that. I love yes. that. She truly prepared us for college, even though I took one math class in my college career as my major. But, um, yeah, she gave us a syllabus. Um, I don't know if she gave it when I took her for geometry, but she did when I took her for AP 
calculus. And yeah, I feel like that's definitely something that should be implemented in college because even if students that are in high school don't go to college, it still teaches you about time management and preparing yourself ahead of time. For sure. Which is needed in any career, even if you go to like a trade school or just anything. Yes. Like, or like, that's just a life skill. Exactly. It's, I don't know, I feel like so many things from college can be implemented implemented into high school to prepare yeah. these students. And it's just, it's more similar to like middle school in certain areas. And I feel like it, it should be more like, you know, bring the stuff in from college into it. That's just my mindset. So that's actually very interesting. I think that, I don't think you could do a syllabus at like, the middle school or elementary school. No, level, definitely so, not. Right? Elementary but I think school. for high school, that's probably something. I mean, yeah, would it create more work? Of course. And is it, um, would, will there be more times than not that you have to shift things because yeah. of things that were able to get covered in the class maybe ran away with one topic of discussion and you didn't get to everything? Sure. But that also happens at the college level too, yeah. right? So, I mean, how many times have I had to alter things in classes that you've had with me because, we got so carried, not I want to say carried away, but we got so deep into discussion and the whole class got involved and I didn't want to cut it off because it was going so well and everyone was really jumping in deep and really critical thinking and everything. And I was like, oh, good, let's keep going, let's keep going. And then you find that you only covered part of the chapter. So you have to go back the next class, finish that, and then continue covering everything else you needed to cover. So that's why I think like that might be difficult to do with the attention spans of those in elementary school and potentially partly middle school. But yeah. maybe for the high school level, yeah, that would be that would be really beneficial, I think, too. Yeah, no, I definitely don't think in elementary and middle school, I think that's just it might be a little too young. But I think in high school, especially the later two years, I think, I mean, even the four years at all be, in general, because, you know, the professor, I mean, the teacher could say, you know, sort of make adjustments, you know, tell the students, you know, there was an adjustment. I'm pretty sure that's what my math teacher did. And yeah, a lot of times that just happens, you know, classwork gets carried over into the next day. And I feel like I would have appreciated it in high school because for those that are going to college, it prepares them it's not so much as much of a shock when they go to college and I would have known ahead of time what's coming instead of my teacher telling me like the week before there's a test I would have known from the beginning of let's say maybe half the school year two months ahead of time okay we should expect a quiz coming up you know so I can prepare myself I feel like it would have helped so much more than just I agree yeah I don't know that's just a big thing that I was thinking about as a college student like why don't high school teachers do this I feel like it would help yeah so much more I agree. And, yeah, I don't know. So that's just one example that I think would be very beneficial to implement high school education. Very much so. I have to agree with you on that. Yeah, so I'm glad to get the professor's perspective <laughs> on that because that was just something that I was thinking. Yeah. Um, what made you choose specifically St. John's to become a professor? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, so I, when I was getting ready to graduate, I sort of applied to any school that was that had availability that were located in the states that I wanted to live in. Right. Deep down, I really wanted to come back to the tri-state area because you know my family was in New Jersey and New York. You know that's where they all are still. Um, you know, and at the time, uh, I was coming back from North Dakota, my dad was falling ill and I wanted to be here to sort of get him set up with the best doctors. And, you know, my sister was getting married and, um, you know, I knew having a child was shortly after there, you know, happening. So I wanted to be in the lives of my, my nieces and nephews and and whatnot, or whoever was going to show up. (laughs) Um, so I applied everywhere and, um, you know, I had some interviews. 
um, you know, some positions, you know, didn't work out and um, whether it would be because, you know, they found other people that were better fits or I realized during the interview process that that's not where I wanted to work, you know, because I think people forget the interview process is also for you to see if that's where you want to work, right? It's not just to see if they'll hire you, right? It's also to see, like, is this the place for me? Well, I'll tell you, there were some places that I interviewed at that I was like, this is not where I want to work. <laughs> or these are not the colleagues I want. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah, so that was that. Was that. Uh, but ironically, I had applied to an open position at uh, St. John's University, and I had packed up my car dro- like to drive home. It was going to be a three-day process to get home because I was going to stop along the way and stay with friends and visit people. And it was my second day. I had just gotten in my car to continue my drive, and I got a call from the department chair at the time for the, of the position that I was interview- uh, hoping to interview for. And he told me, you know, we received your materials. We're really interested, and we're hoping we can schedule an uh, a a virtual interview with you and then you know if that goes well bring you to campus and do that too so I was like oh okay great so when I knew that St. John's was hiring I knew I was going to apply right away though because growing up my dad like we knew of St. John's University really yeah like that wasn't just like it wasn't the first time I've heard of the school like I've known about St. John's my whole life Okay. Um, I guess because I was born in Brooklyn, right? And my dad and my mom lived in Brooklyn or whatever. But my dad found, like, my dad knew about St. John's because um, somebody, you know, had told him throughout the course of the years in the past that St. John's was created to uh, educate uh, the children of immigrants. And my dad was an immigrant. My mom's an immigrant. So I remember when I said, oh, yeah, I applied to St. John's. And he's like, oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah, St. John's is a great school. He's like, you know why St. John's was created, right? I was like, no. He's like, well, you know, it was created by the Bishop of Brooklyn to, you know, educate the children of immigrants, like those that are marginalized that need that education. And I was like, get out of here. I'm a child of immigrants. <laughs> like, this is great. You know, it was like a full circle moment. Um, but, yeah, my dad told me that. And sure enough, that's one of the things that they taught us during our, uh, you know, transition into the school, you know, where they, they give you the background and the mission and all that. And I was like, oh, I already knew that. <laughs> well, yeah, I, that's interesting. I never knew that until you told me because I remember you brought up once before. Yeah. But yeah, that's so interesting. So now not only, you know, is it back home so you could be, you know, with your family, but it aligns with the values of the university align with your mission. So it's like the perfect fit. Yeah. I remember when I um, when I got my office here, uh, my first, you know, right the summer right before I started my job here, um, I had a couple boxes that I wanted to bring in, you know, and get my office situated before the semester started. And uh, like my dad asked if he could come with me. Like he was like excited to see oh. like where I was working and to see campus and stuff. Uh, he's been, you know, in the past to visit friends at like St. John's, the uh, the Queens campus, but he had never been to the Staten Island campus before. So he's like, can, you know, you think maybe I can like come with you and then we can like grab lunch after or something? I was like, yeah, dad, that'd be awesome. So sure enough, like. I brought him to campus and we unpacked my stuff and I went to Flynn to, you know, check in with the admin assistant at the time and stuff. And turns out my dad actually grew up with one of the admins in like Flynn Hall. Wow. Yeah. So apparently one of the admins in Flynn Hall, her father used to own a bakery in the place where my dad grew up. And my grandmother always used to send my dad to buy the day old bread because it was discounted. 
Um, so he would go buy the, the day old bread and like make sandwiches for the week for their school lunches. And so, yeah, so it was so funny. Like he looked at her and was like, hey, you look really familiar. Are you from Brooklyn? She's like, I am. And she goes, that's weird. You look familiar, too. And long story short, what a small world, right? I was just going to say what a small world. Yeah. Wow. So that was really cool to have that, you know, to, for, to see that. And that just reinstated, like, what a family vibe this campus brings, mm-hmm. right? You know, it's sad that, you know, our campus is closing in a year. Right. But, you know, it's been decades of this family vibe. And, like, I got to see that firsthand with my dad checking out my first, you know, academic job, really. So that was really cool. Yeah, and even though, you know, the campus is closing, at least, you know, you can look back and say that you are a part of it. Yes, and that's to me, is something to be really grateful for. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so now going into more of your teaching. Um, sure. We talked about this a little bit before. Um, how do you approach your teaching methods and develop your teaching styles? I know you said you make it so it's not so heavily relying on tests, but you, because I noticed that a lot within the come communications major it's not as many tests it's more so either essays or like projects yeah so I like to make sure that my students get hands-on experience Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of the times I will give a client to my class um, if it's the class that would allow for something like that to happen Um, but I like project based I like discussion Um, I like that sort of dynamic pedagogy structure that requires students to think before they discuss, right? So, you know, you could only get so far in my classes without reading or like preparing yourself for class. Uh, It's very evident when you are missing from class discussion that you did not prepare. You know what I mean? So for me, It's more um, critical thinking, super important, you know, because these days, you know, I feel like if you give somebody a test, right, that's multiple choice, right? Anybody can Google an answer in real life. Um, You have to learn to think on your toes, right? And I think that's why critical thinking is lacking a lot these days. So to really make sure I'm trying to cultivate that skill in my students, we do a lot of class discussion that requires students to pull from the text that we're reading, the world around them, pop culture scenarios, maybe things they're learning in their other classes. And that's that's really important to make sure they're, they have that ability to think on their toes because you don't always get the opportunity to Google something in real life, you know. So that's why critical thinking is so important. Right. And I feel as a student, I personally get more out of, you know, potentially writing a paper or working on a project because it's hands on Mm -hmm. and it's more, you know, aligned with what you'd be doing in the real world. Whereas a test, it, you know, just cramming information just goes in one year out the other. I just don't really see it being as effective for me personally. Right. I agree. I agree. Beneficial long term. I also remembered what it was like being a student. And I think for me, I learned best when I experience something rather than reading and then just regurgitating, right? So for me, that's also really beneficial too, uh, that life experience that I had and being able to incorporate that to hopefully help others that I'm teaching as well. Right. And honestly, I think 
it's those elements that make a great professor because you're oh, putting, cause you're putting yourself in the student's shoes. You know, you've been there mm-hmm. and done that. So, you know, from your personal experience, you know, you know, what works best yeah. in a way and what's beneficial long term. That's a skill I hope I don't ever lose, right? Like, I hope I don't ever forget how to do that. But at the same time, I think it's going to be a fine line that I'm going to have to remind myself of because... While I think I need to remember what it's like to be a student, to be a good teacher, I also think I need to remind the students that I want to push you outside of your comfort box a little bit. Not because I want you to be uncomfortable, but because I I need you to know what it's like to learn without knowing all of the answers, right? Because I feel like um, society has such a negative connotation on being wrong, Right. Where school is one of the places where you can be wrong and not be severely penalized for it. Right. Like you mess up in school. All right. I'll have to do better on the next project. Like this will affect my grade a little bit, but I'm not going to like fully fail the class. You mess up at work sometimes you're going to get fired. Right. So like, you know, I feel like this is a really cool type of academic playground, really, where you can learn. Um, But I feel like the vulnerability needs to be there. And so sometimes in my teaching, I try to make it evident that no one knows all of the answers, right? But I know where we can find them. And I think that that's my job as the professor is to give you the tools to succeed, right? Um, My job isn't to tell you what to think. It's to tell you how to think. And then it's your job to sort of take it from there. No, exactly. That's great. And I think that's one of the benefits of your classes because I've taken a lot of your classes by now. So I know a lot of them are discussion based. Yeah. And you sort of get to instead of just reading from a textbook, you when we have these discussions, you get to feed off of each other and you get to learn from each other because someone may have a lived experience or someone may know something that I don't know. So yeah, yeah. just having those discussions. It's not only is it potentially preparing you for higher education if you want to continue your degrees, because I feel like a lot of them are also more discussion-based. Right. Also, just from the real world, I just think it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a different type of learning that you don't see too often. Yes. But I think it's very beneficial to have discussion-based classes. I agree. And I also think that discussion-based classes help students become more confident in their own opinions. Yes. Because you need to learn to stand in your truth, right? So you need to, to be confident enough to communicate that to people that you might feel a little uneasy around because they're not all your family or all your friends, right? You're talking to people that you sometimes may not know, um, at times may not like, right? Depending on who's in your classes. Um, but your your opinion uh, or insight is always beneficial. So you need to, it, it teaches that confidence too, I believe. Yeah, no, 100%. I agree. Um, now, as a professor, speaking of confidence, how do you handle, I guess, criticisms or reviews made from students on platforms like teacher evaluations at the end of the semester or um, sites like Rate My Professor? Because I know we talked about this once before. Yeah, I've cried a few times. Really? Full disclosure. Fully, full disclosure, I've cried a few times um, at first, right? So here's the thing about evaluations. A lot of the times, the only ones that fill out the evaluation statistically are the ones that did really good or really bad. Right. That makes sense. You never get like 100% of your class filling out the evaluation. I mean, I've begged. I've begged 
students. I've given class time to fill out evaluations. So you heavily encourage them because you want that feedback. Oh, yeah, I want that feedback. I heavily encourage, and at least one or two minimum will not fill it out no matter what. I don't know why, but so, like, for example, this year, um, so with campus closing next year, I feel like evaluations are super important until campus closes. Well, they're super important anyway, but for me, I feel like I need to, I'm trying to angle myself to hopefully be able to stay with the department on the Queens campus when this campus closes, right? So these evaluations are super important for me. I've like begged and sent out group me messages to my classes like, hey, as a reminder, please, please, please fill out this evaluation. My evaluations are still not at 100% of students. And I'm like, I've given class time. Like I've reminded via text, like, no, they. I still don't have 100%. Like, obviously, we don't know who filled them out or who didn't. But right. we just know how many students are in our classes versus how many submissions there are, right? And it's if it doesn't match that, you know, you don't have everybody, you know? So um, those evaluations are important. Um, it's really nice to see the good ones, you know? For wow. me, the bad ones are helpful sometimes. For example, um, ones where they're like, uh, I wish I would have had more time to do assignments or whatever. Help me when I structure their class and the f- when I move forward to start introducing assignments sooner. Now I build in work days uh, in my schedule for my courses. That actually was a result of when I taught at North Dakota State. Somebody had said, "I wish we had time, more time to work on this." And I thought to myself, "I, I thought I gave you enough time from home to do it." I wonder if I build in a work day, if everybody has that opportunity to pull me aside and ask me for help, because we're all supposed to be working on it, if that would be beneficial. And I incorporated it my last semester there, and I got really good feedback. So I started doing it after that here, and I've been getting really good feedback on having those work days incorporated. So, and that all came from not such a great evaluation. But now look at me. It's made me a better professor because now I have students that say that they love having the work days because they work outside of school and they're involved in clubs outside of schools and internships outside of schools. So they really take advantage of that work day when they know it's coming up to get the assignment done in class. Um, so, you know, I, I definitely take them uh, into account, the good and the bad. But, yeah, I've cried once or twice. <laughs> no, again, I think, you know, that's what makes a good professor, you know, listening to that feedback. And of course, you do have to take some, you know, reviews with a grain of salt. Yeah. Like the reviews that say uh, class was too early. Well, I really kind of can't change that. That's not really <laughs> like, based on you as a professor. But. Sorry. You know, I'm sorry. But I, I did. I had no control over that. Yeah. <laughs> um, my last question about you being a professor is what was your favorite class that you ever taught slash currently teach at St. John's? Like Probably the, like a communications class. Like the course itself? Like what? what's my favorite course to teach? Yeah, like the course you've taught. Oh my gosh, it's so hard. It's hard to say. I love teaching um, Intro to MassCom. I no, love I like, teaching that yeah. course because it um, oftentimes is um, the first course a student will take within our department. So I like being that first line of of def- not defense, but like <laughs> the first line of welcome, 
right? Like, hey, this is Com Arts, you know? And I love being able to dabble and talk about all the different components of Com Arts. Um, I love the different activities that we get to do there. We have really great discussion in that class, um, running the gamut on like public relations, advertising, TV, film, journalism, like uh, IMC, right? Like integrated, like marketing communication, integrated media communication things. And um, so, yeah, so for me, I love teaching intro to mass comm, honestly. That's probably my favorite, favorite class. But I also love teaching intro to PR, public relations principles too, um, because uh, I think that's a really fun course where we get to really jump into the ins and outs of perception management and we get to utilize the world around us and the current pop culture situations that are happening and being able to use that as example, which is really cool. So yeah, I would say those are probably my two two favorite classes to teach. Yeah, I've taken both those <laughs> classes and they're very good class, I think, especially if you want to be a comm major, I could testify to that, especially as someone who came in undecided and tried to mass comm is a very good course to take because it really does teach you about the different areas that make up mass communication. Yeah, I really liked that class. Um, our The public law class was actually really fun to teach too. Oh, okay. That was a really fun class to teach because, and we, I actually taught it right in the middle of the Johnny Depp, Amber Heard defamation suit. Mm-hmm. So we essentially follow, we, I used that as a case study for the, throughout the entire semester for my class. So we got to follow that suit and it was really cool to like, see students wrapping their head around what defamation means, what the law means, like what this means. And that was really, really cool. And I brought in some really cool guest speakers for that, too. So that was a really great class. Uh, honestly, I, I guess I love every class that I teach. Like <laughs> this semester is the first time I'm ever teaching a graduate level course at this university, and I'm having so much fun with it. Um, it's really awesome. And it's it was it's an online class. So, you know, I've never taught in a grad class at this university before, let alone online and it's I've had so much fun with it such great feedback and great discussion and um, they've been producing really awesome work yeah I just I just love my job I mean that (laughs) sounds so corny but I do hey that's that's the ultimate point right you yeah if you don't what's the quote um if you love what you do you never have to work a day in your life yeah I still work though (laughs) yeah (laughs) but at least you enjoy it yeah I do love it but it, it is work it for sure is work um but I could say I mean obviously I'm not one of those people that's like totally deluded, right? Like I don't love my job every day or every minute of the day. Like there are some days where I have really hard days. But I would say I have way more good days than bad days. And I know that I made the right decision by doing this. Yeah, of course. No, that's perfectly normal. Yeah. Great. Um, I did want to close out the podcast by talking about your podcast, Ah. actually. So talk a little bit about what it is um, what it is essentially what it's called and what the podcast is about sure. along with what made you decide to start your own podcast in the first place? <sighs> Excellent questions, Courtney. Um, my podcast is called No Shade All Tea uh, and it's basically a, a relationship podcast that talks about the different types of relationships that we experience throughout our lives and sort of the theories behind what makes us all operate, right? And, and what makes everything Uh, sort of connect the dots, if you will. And I am having so much fun with it, honestly. Um, I always kind of wanted to do something that would lend itself to me being able to take a 
a deeper dive into communication theory and topics, but in a way that like the average person could understand, right? Because when I write my research, I'm not writing my research for the average person. Like scholars write our research for other scholars. It's so we get into these journals, right? And unfortunately, most of the research that we produce, which could actually help everyday people, don't get to the everyday people. Because whether they don't have the resources to know how to access our research or they don't know what our research even means. When you read these articles, a lot of these words are kind of really hard to put together. So I thought that this podcast could be a really cool platform to get information out there to your everyday person. And um, I'm having a lot of fun with it. I originally wanted to do something like this, but it took me a while to have the guts to. Um, and I was working with students um, a little over a year ago uh, on launching a podcast for someone else, actually. It was a great opportunity. Um, but then my students sort of said, why don't you do this? To full disclosure, it was three people. It was you. It was Liz. It was, yeah, it was It was Liz Petrillo. And it was Alex. Yeah. Right? Um, you three were like, I don't understand why you don't just do it like you pretty much do it in our classes like why don't just get give yourself your own on the air platform to just do it for everybody and I thought well I guess you're right like absolutely and then I thought but I don't wouldn't even know the first thing to do like I wouldn't and they're like well we'll help you we'll all do it and I was like wait what <laughs> I was like you guys want to launch another podcast and you were all said yeah like if for you yeah let's do it so that's kind of how it came to be it was uh a labor of love from the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's what made you, I guess, decide to start it in the first place. Yeah. And it's going great. I mean, are you enjoying it so far, how it's going? I'm loving it. Um, honestly, like, we're starting season three soon. Um, we've got, like, a little over 12,000 followers on Instagram. It's been a ride. It really has been a ride. Uh, I'm really enjoying it. Mainly because I love getting emails from listeners that are like, oh, I loved this episode. This was really helpful to me. That's been really cool to, to get feedback. Um, I mean, we did one whole episode uh, last season on an email that I received from a listener um, out west who I have, I've never met her, don't know her, you know. But she essentially asked a question and we formulated an entire podcast episode around it. Because I wanted to help her bring this information to everybody so that she could help, like, raise her son better, you know. So that was so exciting to me. Right. And not only is this a newfound passion for you, um, what would you say your goals are for this podcast as, you know, it gets bigger and as time goes on? I know you mentioned at one point it, you know, wanting to give back to the community in a yes. sense. So my goal essentially for this podcast is I'd like to monetize it eventually. Um, I would like for it to remain an internship-esque experience for students um, who want to participate. And I would love to be able to monetize this in a way that gives back to the communication arts department. Um, you know, we're still in the infancy, you know, can't really go there quite yet. But if this continues to pick up traction, I would love to essentially be able to roll this into some sort of a scholarship fund. I mean, I would love that. You know, ideally, that would be really great. Yeah, that talk about a full circle moment. I think that's, you know, a great 
way to contribute and give back to the calm arts yeah community absolutely that's that in my heart of hearts i know that that's the right thing to do so let's just you know here's to hoping that we get there yeah fingers crossed uh, no I, we will get there <laughs> you will get there dr d i believe in you i thank you i mean i hope we get there it's uh i i see so many great things coming out of this program so many brilliant scholars and and you know students that are jumping into the field and they're doing such good things. Uh, I really want to make sure that the funds are there for somebody that might be struggling for us to be able to help out if needed. Right. And, you know, I was, I was going to say, you know, all of us love working with you. No, I don't want to put words in the other interns mouths, <laughs> but I'm sure they would, you know, agree with that, you know, statement. I appreciate that. But I, I love working with you guys that. too. It's been, uh, it's been an honor and a pleasure to work with you guys, honestly. Yeah. You teach me a lot, too, you know, particularly slang terminology. <laughs> <laughs> Gen Z versus millennial. Yeah, facts. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. But I've definitely learned a lot about the behind the scenes, you know, how to sort of operate a podcast. And, you know, it's here I am on a podcast of, of your of own, own for the right? vault. For yeah. the vault. And I absolutely love it. It's a great you know, form to express yourself in your opinion. Excellent. I'm glad. It's, I mean, it's a great podcast. I mean, I've heard nothing but good things about it. I've well, listened to you. an episode or so. Ooh, thank you. So, I yeah. Support. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Full support all the time. You know it. Thank you. Um, and that's pretty much it for this interview, unless you had any final questions or, you know, anything you'd like to say to anyone listening. Um, no, just, you know, if you're a St. John student and you need assistance with anything, even if it's getting information, I'm happy to help point you in the right direction. Feel free to reach out. Uh, my email address is uh, D as in David, I, T as in Thomas, U, N as in Nancy, N as in Nancy, A as in Apple, N as in Nancy at stjohns.edu. So, you know, shoot me an email if you need anything and I'm happy to help. Right. And of course, you could always reach out to the bolt as well, because like I said, Dr. D is our faculty advisor, so yes. you can always reach out to us, and we will connect you with her as well. Perfect. Well, thank you again, Dr. D, for joining us today. This was a really great interview. I learned a lot. I was glad to get your insight on some different topics, and we honestly should do this again really soon. I would love really that. Fun. I would love it. I had a really good time. Thanks for having me on, Courtney. I appreciate it, and I'm here for anything you need. You know that. Oh, thank you. And thank you to everyone that's listening. If you'd like to suggest a future podcast episode, you could either DM us on Instagram or email us. And also to check out more of our content, you can check out our Instagram at thebolt.sju and our email is thebolt.sju at gmail.com. Um, and in our Instagram bio is the link tree where you could find the links to our website and our YouTube channel. Once again, our email is thebolt.sju at gmail.com, and our Instagram is at thebolt.sju. Thank you again, everyone, for listening, and this is your host, Courtney, and I'll see you next time for the next episode of Storm Chasers. Bye. Bye.